Hello and welcome to Dad Educates Daughter, Series 3, Episode 15. Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Dad. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good. So you had your second episode, really, of the 1990s, really, because mm-hmm. um, yeah. these these um, bands had most of their success, really, in the 90s and the 80s. But they did start off in the 80s, in 1989. So how did you find this week? Not bad. Um, can't wait for there to be less songs. Like, it's... You know, I'm I'm managing. Um, yeah. I feel like with some of the bands this week, my ears need a recovery. But I'll let you know which ones they are when we get to them. But yeah, like apart from that, you know, like it's very rock. So already we know what my opinion is on rock. But we had some. It was an up and down, I'll say. Okay. Which is what I'd think because some of these I weren't aren't really my cup of tea, so to speak. But I was um, going to ask you what you thought of these. Well, I've I've got a couple of albums here. Who have you got? Um, so we have Old Texas, okay. White, white on blonde. We have uh, some cassettes. Oh, we're going back here now. Old rock set. I want another rock set. Oh, so you like rock set then? I want another rock set. Then you have a CD. Of rock set. So you like rock set. That's what we're getting on. That's what we're getting. Okay. And that Texas one, is it an actual album or is it a greatest hit? Yeah, yeah, no, that's white on blonde. Okay, so you do like a bit of Texas. And that's with... uh... I'll say what you want. Say what you want. Halo and White Eyed Boy. Black Eyed Boy. Black Eyed, sorry, Black Eyed Boy. Because <laughs> I'm thinking of White blo- on Blonde, which is the album. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, um, I mean, the well, we'll go into it more. But um, I have got albums of the uh, the Mad Chester and that sort of music. I was going to ask about this because I think I've realised. Well, so when I'm like. Doing my notes, I go on YouTube so I can get the feel of the videos as well. And one of them, um, it weren't the video that I clicked, but obviously you can see like the icon for each video, yeah. like the cover bit. And a couple down was like Madchester. So I was like, that's part of the Manchester thing, isn't it? Like with all who came. Which was from. the early 1990s. Yeah. So I um, think if I'm and, right, one of them come from. Yeah. I mean, I've got, I mean, I don't think they're from they're part of it, or well, they might be. I'd, I'd have to look where they come from because obviously you had to come from Manchester to be yeah. part of the Manchester. But I, I mean, the, the groups you had, which we'll get, we'll touch on in a minute when we just recap. I they weren't my cup of tea, but I have got the farm, Jesus Jones, in Spiral Carpets. So I was Are into these that. Part of the Manchester? Some of that. Well, the, I, they were that kind of music. I'm not sure if they were part of Manchester because, as I say, they were specifically groups from Manchester. Right. But, um, uh, okay, I'm with you. That, the, 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 the same sort of music that was out, I think the farm were Liverpool, but I could be wrong. I don't, I don't actually know. But in the early 90s, they were, you know, the Soup Dragons. They were who I had um, albums Your- of. 
you're saying all these bands and I'm like, not heard of any of them. I don't have a clue what you're going on about. Uh, you need to, I mean, even the early 90s, which obviously we're not touching on because we're just doing the 80s. Yeah. Um, I mean, we may eventually, but we've got the males and the female soloists to, to do yet. So yeah. um, it would be a long, long time before we touched it. But yeah, definitely. Um, You've you've had a t- I mean which which week did you prefer last week with lightning seeds um, I can't even remember who else we had last week beautiful uh, south big fun beautiful south Old, yeah oh de la soul yeah de la soul um, soul to soul yeah I preferred last you preferred last week so just to recap who you had this week as I've already said Texas uh, Stone Roses Roxette James Technotronic Eight to eight state and happy Mondays. Mm-hmm. So, how many number ones did you listen to? I think I've listened to three, and they come from three different bands. Ooh. Well, we need to find out which three you would have thought was number one. Yeah. So, do you want to know the song that I think as well? Yeah, go for the song as well. Okay. So, Texas, I think it will say what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think Technotronic had one with Pump Up the Jam. And I think, who sang it? Roxette had one with It Must Have Been Love. But I think that's on the back of, if I'm right, it was in a film. I think it, it was Pretty Woman. Yes. With Julia Roberts, which I will touch on. You actually listened to Zero, None, oh. right. Nil Poir. Number okay. ones this okay. week. All right. So that's why I asked where you want, because I want to know what, where you where they came. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm intrigued because, like, if they're in the top ten, fantastic. Top five, even better. But I guess they're not a number one, so it's not going to be that high up, is it? Mm. Okay. Mm. So let's start. Let's talk music. Let's talk Texas. Yes. So I've gone for rock, pop rock, basically. You can tell that they're bigger in the 90s with the way their dress sense goes, and they just look like rock stars. Um, They keep it simple with the videos, but then they can get quite artistic with like the angles and the landscape. So like in one video, the whole video, they're just driving in a car, but you can see the moon in the background and they play around with it going blurry and it just... Yeah, they do it that way more than actually making a big whole hoo-ha out of their videos. Um, They've got really good vocals. It's a female vocalist. And the first listen, so when I'm listening during the week, I couldn't get into them. So it took me a while to really hear their music. Like when I was like in my car listening, it didn't touch with me. It didn't stand out. It was just like, okay, yeah, cool. Really? Yeah, but I think that's just because of the vast amount that I've had this week. It's more, I was getting through it. So then when I'm writing my notes, I'm like re-listening or if I managed to have another listen to any extra songs, like replaying some of the ones that I quite liked, I've got into it a bit more. And I've like, actually with Texas, they're very talented vocals and she can change it up in songs. So I I can't explain it. You can just, when you listen to different songs, you can just see the different um, tones in her voice. 
I think they're a five piece. And as time goes on, they become more pop rather than having the rock. And I was actually surprised considering I don't know the band, never heard of them. I knew a few of their songs. That was quite nice. Okay. So, Texas. Charlene Spateri, vocals and guitar. Johnny McAlone, McAlone, bass and keyboards. Stuart Kerr, drums till 1991 and then it was Richard Hind um, Ali McLean guitar and um, Eddie Campbell joined in 1991 on keyboards along with Richard Hind who obviously as I say was on drums they were formed in 1986 in Glasgow Scotland mm-hmm. and they are alternative rock pop so you are correct mm-hmm. so texas were formed by johnny mcclown um who was formerly of altered images oh, and okay. hipsway um and charlene spateri so they were the two founders nice. although formed in 1986 they didn't actually make their performing debut until march 1988 at the University of Dundee. Um, so in 1989, the band released their debut album, Southside, and debut single, I Don't Want a Lover, uh, which peaked within the top 10 of many European countries. The album Southside reached number three in the UK album chart and number 88 on the hot bill on the billboard hot 200 album chart selling over 2 million copies worldwide they've come in so quite that was just strong. a debut album mm. yeah uh despite the success of southside and 1993's rick's road peaking at 30, number 32 and 18 respectively on the album charts um it wasn't until in 1997 the band's it wasn't really until 1997 that the band's fortune changed as they achieved commercial success uh, with their album White on Blonde, um, which topped the UK album charts and became their biggest seller and was certified platinum six times. Wow. So is that why you've got that one then? You were just kind of following the crowd or do you actually Yeah, I suppose so. It was a good it was it was a good album at the time. I mean, Texas were, you know, nineteen eighty nine were um well known. Nineteen well, I'll say nineteen eighty nine, nineteen ninety. It would have been into the nineteen nineties now, so so yeah. So what's this, nineteen ninety seven? Well into. Yeah. Uh, the follow-up album, 1999's The Hush, was also successful and also topped the UK album chart and was certified triple platinum. In 2000, the band released their greatest hits album, which also topped the UK album charts. Texas have since released a further five studio albums, with 2021's High becoming their biggest charting album at number three since The Hush in 1999. Wow. So album-wise, they can do quite well. Yeah, yeah. They're definitely an album group rather than a 
a singles I mean, mainstream. They've obviously had, I mean, I had a lot of songs from them, so they've done well with their singles, though. Oh, yeah, but yeah. More, but I suppose the fact to do that bit better. they haven't had a number one, I mean, you'll see from their chart, and it's not bad, but obviously, yeah. whereas they had number ones with albums. Yeah. Um, in 2005, the band went on a hiatus with Sherlyn Spateri releasing a solo album. And then in 2009, the band got back together and in 2011, they toured. So are they still going now? Like after that tour, are they still together? Um, I think so, yes. I think they're still going. Okay. But obviously, no, nothing. Um, like they're not. No new material as such. Oh, okay. Well, I yeah, as I said, not 2021, they're high. So 2021 High was the album that got to number three. That oh, was in 2021. Okay. Ah. So they are definitely still together. So they are definitely still, still together. So although their singles aren't doing anything, anything, their albums are. As they're still doing well with their, their album. strong point. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, so they've had 13 top 10 singles and nine top 10 albums. Okay. So 1989, Southside got to number three. 1997, White on Blonde got to number one. 1999, The Hush got to number one. 2000, The Greatest Hits got to number one. 2003, Careful What You Wish For got to number five. 2013, The Conversation got to number four. 2015, Texas 25, a compilation album of their hits got to number five. 2017, Jump On Board got to number six. And in 2021, High got to number three. Yeah, really good with their albums. So, yeah. And um, I haven't touched on it, but um, have you watched Bend It Like Beckham? No, that's something I've never watched, you know. Well. But I know what it's um, about. One of their singles was in the soundtrack of that. Ooh. Is it one that I've listened to? Yes, 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 it was. It was Inner Smile. Okay. So, on that, we shall now go through their singles. As you say, there was a few. Yeah. So, we start off with their only hit from the 80s, 1989's I Don't Want a Lover, number eight. Okay, I liked this one. It was a good start to them, and straight in, I was like, she's got good vocals. Okay. It was also released in or re-released in 2001 and it got to number 16. Mm, so still quite high charting. Yeah. After so then we went to 1992, Alone With You, and that got to number 32. Okay, yeah, this one was a bit on the contrast inside compared to I Don't Want to Love It. It slowed down. It was more instrument sounds than the vocal sounds. Then we have 1992's Tired of Being Alone. That got to number 19. Mm, this is a great song. I recognised it a bit. It's catchy. It's sing-along. That kind of ticks my boxes. Okay. Then we go to 1993, so-called Friend, number 30. This one stripped it back on all the instruments that they use. It shows off both talents with the instruments and with, like, the instruments and the vocals okay 1993 you owe it all to me number 39 
oh see i liked this one it was just simple it kind of gave off like a powerful i don't care vibe through the way it was sung okay we're now moving into 1994 so in love with you number 28 it was like an, an acoustic it was nice and slow but it was different to the ones that we've had okay um so now we're into the uh the white on blonde era so 1997 say what you want number three ah so at least it ch charted high this is one that i thought was beer number one i recognized it it's sing along it's probably one of their most poppy songs um and it's my favorite okay it was also re-released in 1998 as a double a with insane and it got to number four and that's why you've got insane on the list because it was a double a with so say in, what you want so insane was never released as a single on its own no no it was uh, with okay. a double a. well it was a double a so that's weird but, to put yeah. them two together because insane was a bit darker sounding slow and the music like the background music was a lot louder that's a weird mm -hmm double a to have yeah so it's more i would say the sales were more from say what you want so it got to number oh, yeah. three and it got to number four in 19 not so a year later okay um we then go to 1997 halo number 10 oh yeah i liked this one this one was uplifting and the lyrics were powerful i thought um staying with 97 and as i say from the album white on blonde um we have black eyed boy number five i've really enjoyed this chorus i really want to know what black eyed boy is referring to like it's just like mm. a weird thing to say isn't it but it was a good song 1997's put your arms around me number 10 okay this was more like a ballad just a bit too slow for me and that's also from the album white on blonde yes okay so then we had insane which we've already touched on so then we're going to 1999 in our lifetime at number four it's repetitive but the beat in it is really good i like the actual music side um 1999 summer sun number five okay this is another dark one and you know when I say, oh, it's very 80s sounding? This one's very 90s sounding. I get mm -hmm. 90s vibes from it, which obviously it's in the 90s. But yeah. yeah. Still in the 90s at 99 when we are together, number 12. Mm, upbeat, good piece of music, and it's got a catchy chorus. That one was probably like my second favourite. Okay. So now we're going into the 2000s in demand, number six. Oh, this one's nice and calm. Like they're they're they've released it to actually tell someone something. Two thousand one, in a smile, which, as I say, was from the film Bend It Like Beckham, number six. And weirdly, I recognise this, but I've never seen the film, never listened to the soundtrack. But it's just a fun song. Mm -hmm. mm, Two thousand and three, Carnival Girl, number nine. So this one had a feature, Cardinal Official, um, and I like their feature in it. Okay. It adds a new layer to the song, gave something a bit different. 
2003 still. I'll see it through. Number 40. Oh, I like this one because it really shows off the vocals. I mean, it's not really like the others, so I can get why people wouldn't have gone out and bought it maybe, but it really shows off her talent. Okay. Number, f oh, sorry, 2005, Getaway, number six. Oh, what a change that is. This one's upbeat and fast-paced. Still 2005, Can't Resist, number 13. Uh, the music for me is too loud over the vocals. I don't like it when they do that. And then lastly, 2006, Sleep, number six. Okay, so I recognise this one. But also, watching the video, there was a little cameo from Peter Kay. Yeah, I think it was a charity. <laughs> I remember right. when it was out and Peter Kay being in it. I've yeah. got a feeling it might have been a charity record. Yeah, that would make sense. But was that eh? And then you've not said anything about it. So I was like, was I seeing No, anything? no, didn't touch on it. As I say, like a bit like in a smile. But um, I'm pretty sure it was a charity. If I remember at the time, it was a charity record, which means it would have obviously helped it. It was chart position yeah. as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that was Texas. The first mm -hmm. of your seven bands this week. Yeah. We're now going to move on to Manchester's own Stone Roses. Are they from Manchester? They I don't are. know that. So I've heard of these and I thought I'd recognise some of the songs because I've heard of the band. But I actually didn't like recognise any songs, I don't Not think. Even Fool's Gold? No. No, um, they're a rock band, and I feel like these are like a proper band, aren't they? Like they are musicians, um, and considering they're a rock band, they're not in your face. They make good music without going overboard on the sound and the loudness and being harsh. Um, one thing I'd say is that they lack actual lyrics. Like some songs just aren't lyrical, which you know it's not up to like up my street if it's not lyrical and when they do sing i've realized rock stars don't actually have to be good singers to make it because it's about the music because they can fall back on their music rather than their vocals um they're not your typical rock stars they like to just do casual clothing and they don't have many videos like they're lots of performances or it was just like no video at all um and i think there's four of them all male Okay, so Stone Roses, Ian Brown on vocals, John Squire on guitar, Pete Garner on bass, Andy Cousins on rhythm guitar, Simon Wollstonecroft on drums, although he left. Um, sorry, he'd been previously the drum with The Fall and The Smiths. He okay. left in 1984 and was replaced with Rennie, also known as Alan Wen. Um, that's the bird, Wen, not... As in oh, okay. um, Pete Garner left us in 1986 um, and he was replaced on bass with a Manny known as Gary Mountfield. They were formed in 1983 in Manchester and they are indie rock alternative rock, Madchester Neo Psychedelica. What's Neo Psychedelica? Well, comes up again later so uh it's obviously the 
the music associated with Manchester, I can only guess, you know, and okay. probably the, the music that was associated with those bands I mentioned earlier. So there was quite a few bands around at that time that were mm. doing the same, as I say, similar. You had James, you had Stone Roses, you had Happy Mondays, you had Soup Dragons, uh, or oh, what else have I said? The Farm, uh, In Spiral yes, Carpet, yeah. The Charlatans. You know, there was there was... Quite a group few. of them that were you know in that mixture of music at the time mm. um but not necessarily all from manchester the Manchester lot were obviously the the ones that were the, the they were like the forefront of the being. pioneers of the music mm. and then the music obviously evolved to other areas yeah. um, which i will go into now so stone roses are seen as one of the pioneering bands of the Manchester movement and although they've been had several lineups, the classic and most prominent lineup consisted of Ian Brown, John Squire, Manny, and Rennie. Uh, they were influenced by the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, oh, yeah, the Birds. Yeah. Uh, the Birds, funny enough, have been in the uh, news at the moment because one of their um, founding sons, so to speak, um, David Crosby, is it? I've got. It's Crosby anyway, from Cros from Stills Nash and Crosby. He was also part of the Birds. And right. um, as I said, the Birds, and that's spelled B-Y-R-D-S, not B-I-R-D-S. Right, um, okay. They were an influence on um, Stone Roses. Um, they were also influenced by the Smiths and the Jesus and the Mary Chain. Um, mm. Their debut album, the self-titled The Stone Roses, was, was released in 1989 and was seen as a breakthrough success for the band with the album receiving critical acclaim. However, success saw the band wanting to capitalise on their success by signing to a major record label. However, their label at the time, the smaller Silvertone, would not allow them out of their contract, which led to a long and drawn-out legal battle that culminated with the band signing with Geffen Records in 1991. Okay. So two years later. Yeah. Uh, the band released their second album, Second Coming, in 1994. Bear in mind, they released their first one in 1989. Then they had this legal battle. So mm -hmm. that's obviously put them a bit behind. Put, yeah. Um, they've not been able so, to sell themselves as much. Yeah. So um, it received mixed um, reviews. And in March 1995, just two weeks before they were to embark on a tour to promote Second Coming, Drummer Rennie exited the band following a disagreement with Ian Brown. So they drafted in Robbie Maddox as a replacement who had previously worked with Rebel MC. So um, it was very, I suppose, um, fractious in the ranks. So they've had their, you know, success with their first album. Mm -hmm. They then have a, they wanted obviously to go bigger and better, but they yeah. were already tied into a contract. Couldn't get out of that contract for two years or through a legal battle that took two years. Mm -hmm. Then signed up to another record label, a much bigger one in Geffen Records based in America. Um, so following their first album in 1989, they didn't release their second album until 1994. That Big didn't gas. get quite the, the, the um, reaction that the first one did. And now they've got band members leaving as well they were then going to have a secret comeback tour Ben in mind it's obviously been a while since they toured hence it was 
called Comeback It. It's not like they'd um, yeah, split right. or, you know, broke up or anything, although they have no. obviously got a different member now. But it was um, more, I think, a case of because it had been so long. Yeah. Um, so they're going to have a, a secret comeback tour of the UK. It was planned for April. Um, I suppose they were leaving. Sense, not, not, well, no, I suppose as in secret until they wanted to announce it. They didn't want it leaked, as you'll right. find out. So it was planned for April 1995. However, it was cancelled after the music press announced the dates. So I suppose they wanted to announce them. They and they were obviously a bit peeved that um, the press did, or the music press, I suppose, as in probably the music magazines like NME yeah. or whatever. Um, and so they cancelled it. So they were quite you yes. know, stubborn, I yes. suppose, in that sense. Mm. Um, which you find, yeah, which I suppose you find with rock groups more so. You know, look at mm. Oasis and how yeah. stubborn they are, and you know, they're they're probably the most first, stubborn so. ever. Yeah, well, no, I think the I read there was some another another. Um, I think they were brothers as well, or um, were even more stubborn. And I think they were at the Gallagher's. So um, yeah, I oh, can't remember who it was now, but I did. Um, so yeah, yeah. So another major blow was the cancellation of their engagement at the Glastonbury Festival. A squire had suffered a mountain bike accident in Northern California weeks before the show, breaking his collarbone. So they had to then pull out of that as well. So, so they're um, yeah. luck. They don't get good luck, do they, at all? No. Um, so the band did eventually organise a fall UK tour for November and December of 1995 with all the dates selling out within a day of being announced. Which just shows so the popularity of Stone it. Roses. Yeah, yes. like they are popular. However, following that um, tour, on the 1st of April 1996, John Squire, who wrote most of the songs of the second album, announced his departure from the band, with Simply Red's tour guitarist, Aziz Ibrahim recruited as a replacement. The band continued for another six months, but there was a noted deterioration in the quality of their public performances after Squire's departure. And at the Reading Festival, now it's funny you said about the singer and the music and that, because it was noted at the Reading Festival, Brown's voice was described as so off-key it was excruciating. Yeah, they don't. You can't sing. So the music press were united in their criticism, and then Brown and Manny dissolved the band in October 1986. 1986. Uh, sorry, 96, yes. Um, the band won four NME Readers' Polls Awards in 1989. Band of the Year, Best New Band, Single of the Year with Fool's Gold, an album of the year, The Stone Roses, uh, which is now considered as one of the greatest British albums. I'm not getting how they're so big. I feel like they didn't do much. Like, they went through, they, they had a really good first album, then they had to do that court, and then they were coming back, and then there was an, their tour was like, no. And then they did do a tour, and it sold out, and I don't really get why it sold out. And then... Because then they didn't really have charting success in the middle either. It's just very bizarre how they're so big. And then he can't sing. And like, oh, I wish I wrote down what song, but I wrote it in like my 
overall but there was a particular song that made me click and I was like he can't actually sing I wish I wrote down what song it was to see how far in it was where he was like really bad but yeah I'm just not getting why they're so big they're part of the Manchester, and I suppose they had a big following they were big live they were big um obviously a lot big live band and um I suppose they had a big you know they the, the stone their first album that was obviously their peak did yeah. have a you know a good you know a, a good amount uh, of soul yeah yeah although as you're about to find out it didn't actually chart as well as the one that their second album which wasn't as critically acclaimed which i'll come to that in a minute so on the 8th 18th of october 2011 the stone roses announced at a press conference the end of their 15 year split with an extensive reunion tour. Oh, okay. And then on the 24th of June 2017, during a performance at Hamden Park, Scotland, Ian Brown addressed the crowd saying, don't be sad that it's over. Be happy that it happened. As it turned out to be their final gig, as on the 16th of September 2017, so what, almost... What, three months later? Yeah, three months. Um, Squire confirmed in an interview the band had disbanded. Uh, so those were the last words, or at least last statement by the band, was said during a performance. Don't be sad that it's over. Be happy that it happened. Mm. So it's literally hinting then that this is the last gig, which it was. Um, they had four top 10 singles and four top 10 albums. So 1989, The Stone Roses got to number nine. 1994, The Second Coming got to number four, which was obviously, as I say, better than... That's better than the first. Yeah. 1995, The Complete... Uh, so like a compilation got to number four and then in 2009 they re-released the stone roses and this time it got to number five okay so yeah a band that are very highly thought of very you know were probably a lot of people at the time put put them above oasis obviously when oasis first come on they were linked they were you know i suppose put in with the stone roses and um Obviously, we all know where our aces went, and the Stone Roses didn't quite hit that peak, I suppose. I mean, I'm yeah. not a fan of the Stone. I do like the Fool's, Fool's Gold, but, yeah, other than that... Um... Just don't get how they were so big. That's that's more what I am. Like, they are like a, like I said, like a proper rock band. They are like a proper yeah. band. They're talented, bar the vocals. But after hearing everything you've just said, I'm like, and they still were big like but I think what probably got them sold as well is being part of the Manchester like movement yeah which as I say they are seen as um pioneering pioneering you know so uh, so yeah they were the first with that kind of that music genre that you know that that sound so anyway Mm. We shall go through their singles. Yeah. So 1989, Made of Stone, got to number 20. 
It was also re-released in 1996, but it only got to number 100. Okay. So this had a nice, it's a bit too quiet, but it had a good build up to the chorus. So the chorus kind of made it for that song. 1989, She Bangs the Drums, number 34. Also re-released in 1996, number 96. So they're not doing well, they're re-releases, are they? Um, no. Gangs of Drums has a good beat. Got a good beat to it. Okay, we then have a double A side. Fool's Gold and What the World is Waiting For. Got to number eight. Okay, I prefer What the World is Waiting For. Um, it's good. It's an upbeat song. Um, the only downfall of it is, I think I've said this about the whole band, like the music is louder than the vocals in them. Um, Fool's Gold has a very long intro and it's not got much body to it, but it has got a good beat. Like that's one thing I can't slate Stone Roses for is their beat to their music. They really know how to make music. Um, Fool's Gold was also re-released in 1992, got to number 73. 1995 it got to number 25 and 1999 it also got to number 25 the best re-release so far so then we re uh, we re-released then we move on sorry to 1990 and elephant stone that got to number eight okay this is one where the vocals sound good i just can't understand them and again it's got a good beat Okay, 1991 Love, number four. There's not much to this one. I don't know how that's charted so high. It's not got much body to it at all. It's quite a quiet song. 1991, I Want to Be Adored, number 20. Okay, not many lyrics in it. Got a good beat and I like the layered sounds, how they use different sounds on different instruments and put them all together. I really like that. 1992, Waterfall, number 27. This is slow but catchy. 1992, I Am the Resurrection, number 33. And then re released in 96 and got to number 84. I don't know why they've carried on re releasing them. Um, this one is was a near favourite. So it picks all the boxes like the music's good, there's lyrics, it's quite catchy. Like it's a good one. They weren't my favourite. Okay. 1994, Love Spreads. This is their biggest hit at number two. Mm, it's a good song. In the middle, there are some weird guitar bits. I'm not a fan of that. But overall, it was a good one. So that's not a bad chart in for that. 1995, 10-story love song, number 11. This was my favourite. And this one I remembered from when I first listened. I was kind of waiting. I was like, no, this isn't a song that I liked. Got to it and I was like, this is it. I really like the lyrics and the calmness of it. And again, the mu- the background, like the music as a whole, it's got a good beat to it. Okay. 1995, Begging You, number 15. This is just very rock. I think this is their most rock song. Like, it's a bit too harsh. Okay. 2016 now, All For One. Number 17. So this is obviously from their reformation years mm-hmm. now. Uh, yeah, so number 17 for that. This one gets you moving. I really like the chorus. And then 2016, their last one, Beautiful Thing, number 21. 
Okay, this was a good song to end on. Like the last two, like they were quite good. Okay. Right. So moving on to rock set. Rock set, yes. So again, I've gone for pop rock. <clears throat> and these ones have got a good balance of going from harsh sounds to quite calm and mellow. They're quite talented and they can mix it up with their songs. Um, a duo, maybe a couple. Um, black and white videos I quite like. The girl, look, well, to be fair, they both like, so the woman's got, it's a man and a woman. The woman's got pixie cut hair, um, like white blonde hair, and the man has got like rock star hair, I want to say. They're quite rock stars. They like the leather. Um, but no, there were, I couldn't get, that's one thing I found this week. Videos aren't a big thing. So I can't get much. Well, we're moving out of the video now. age now, you see. Yeah. You yeah, know, MTV really was 80s. We're now going mm. into the 90s where it wasn't so big. No. Um, or at least it was still a thing, but it didn't have the. the you didn't the, need um, it to get your sales. Yeah. So it didn't matter. I mean, because you've got to think people are now, I would say probably, I'm not sure. I'm trying to think now whether the, um, what was it? The, the first, the little. Oh, I can't think what they were called now, that iPods. downloaded music. iPods, iPods, that's the word I'm trying to get to. I'm not sure when they come out, because obviously once they come out, your music mm, world changed that, again. That that was the start of downloads. So, um, you know, videos may not have been such a selling point now, because obviously if you've listened to it on an iPod, you don't need to listen to a video or, mm. you know, um, if you're streaming. But then I suppose it's like, how did they get, seen in the first place but um you know it's uh we're coming to another another group with another movie to soundtrack song the so. original ipod introduced october 23rd october 2001 oh, right. so we've got another MTV decade yet so, yeah. so yeah but yeah no videos mtv and that weren't as i suppose mm. it was just a, a normal thing now you didn't have to spend loads of money on it it was just a you know, you watched MTV and that was it. So it didn't really, it was the, it was the music that sold the records rather than the video, I suppose, which yeah. is how it was. Whereas MTV was a new fad in the eighties. So the videos were a big thing to, uh, to get played on MTV, mm. I guess. Anyway, moving on to, uh, or I, before I digest, we move on to walk back to walk set. So Roxette were Marie Fredrickson on vocals and keyboards and Per Gessle, G-E-S-S-L-E, um, on vocals and guitar. They were formed in 1986 in Halmstad, Sweden. Um, they are a pop rock, soft rock, power pop duo. Um, mm. So if you think about Sweden, we've had obviously the big one in ABBA. We then mm -hmm. had, I suppose, the one-hit wonders, although I'm sure people would say they're not in Europe. Yeah. And then um, we've now got Roxette. So Sweden so, bring out the people. The Swedish pop rock duo became an international act in the late 1980s when their second album, Look Sharp, charted in the top 10 in most countries including being number one in sweden and norway mm. it also reached number 23 mm. in the u.s hot 200 album chart 
while their third album, Joyride, released in 1991, became even more successful, reaching number one in Austria, Finland, Germany, Norway, Sweden and Switzerland. And also got to number 12 in the US Hot 200 album chart. So... So Woxet's members were both successful musicians before they came together, with Fredrickson heavy, um, having a, a solo career, which included a number of solo albums, and Gesley being the lead singer and songwriter of Glenn Tider, a band who had three number one albums in Sweden, obviously okay. their homeland. Um, and their debut album, Pearls of Passion, peaked at number two in Sweden, which is this band. that. Um, so they probably weren't a big yes, band, they but they knew that because they were in a band in Sweden, they knew how to work. Yeah, yeah, they were successful they in, were in their own country. Yeah. Um, in 1990, Roxette were nominated for a Brit Award for Best International Group along with the B-52s, De La Soul, In Excess and Faith No More. Unfortunately, they missed out to In Excess. So their song, It Must Have Been Love and Listen to Your Heart, continued to receive wide radio airplay, with both singles receiving awards from the BMI, the Broadcast Music Inc., in 2014 for achieving 5 million radio plays. So as I say, It Must Have Been Love was included in on the Pretty Woman soundtrack after yeah. Touchstone Pictures approached EMI and Roxette to contribute a song for the soundtrack for the film, which starred Richard Gere and Julia Roberts. Per Gesli, Gazelle, I'm not sure how obviously that's pronounced being Swedish. I'm probably doing it completely wrong. Um, he insisted that um, the song that they should have was It Must Have Been Love. However, which was it was an old song that they'd recorded two years before. So it wasn't recorded for that for that soundtrack. Oh, so they it was actually already in there. They already anyway. It was part of their old material. Um, oh. In fact, it was, two, as I say, two-year-old recording. Um, and that was chosen because Roxette had no time to compose and record a new song, which is quite um, surreal, really, because if you remember with Pretty in Pink soundtrack and OMD, yeah. OMD gave a song in, and then when it went to um, the test audience, the film producers changed the ending of the film because of the the feedback yeah. from the test audience and yeah. literally omd wrote a new song within a day within hours of having to do it so i remember they done that and yet Roxette are saying they haven't got time to compose and record a new song yeah in, in, like that's a bit of time so um, yeah feverish yeah and it's funny because um i've just been watching a documentary it's on channel five um, on Sock Aitken and Waterman, who were the big produce music producers of, funny enough, the late 80s, with a lot of the groups and soloists that were hitting the big time back then. Um, so you had wow. Mel and Kim, you had Banana Rama, you had Dead or Alive, you had Kylie, you had Jason, you had Sonia, um, you know, as we've already touched on, Brother Beyond and Big Fun. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so they, um, when Kylie first came to them, um, one of the members of Stock Aitken and Waterman, Pete Waterman, hadn't let the other two know she was coming. So she turns up and they're like, Pete, we've got someone here in reception, Kylie Minogue. Do you know anything? Oh, yeah, I was meant to tell you. They literally wrote, I'm so lucky within hours for her to perform and record before she went back to Australia. So, so it just shows you like, that's, you know, that they, they done that. And as I say, OMD and yet Roxette are saying, mm. you can have this song for your film. It's two years old, but we haven't got time to do anything else. So anyway, the film producers turned down the request asking for another song. Some weeks later, after re-editing the film before release, the producers producers then re-requested It Must Have Been Love on condition that Roxette removed a Christmas lyric it had in it. So it was originally obviously going to be a Christmas song, I'm guessing. Um, so what happened is Gesley took the old recording. He had Fredrickson replace the single Christmas reference line in the song. He added some instrumental and background vocals, and um, that was it. That's how it became as it was from obviously what they'd recorded two years ago to what then it actually became. Um, and though it was not the first single released from the soundtrack, um, it was the biggest single as it must have been love proved to be Roxette's also most successful single release spending two weeks at number one on the u.s billboard hot 100 chart and it also topped the charts in over 20 other countries including australia now obviously i've told you we didn't have a number one this week so obviously you know it wasn't number one here so it's interesting. It was number one in America, number one in over 20 other countries, but oh, not yeah. here. And um, they're from here. As, no, they're Swedish. They're Swedish. Okay. Um, unfortunately, Marie Fredriksson died on the 9th of December 2019 um, at 61 following a year-long battle with cancer. Um, however, her funeral was... Um, was obviously a big thing in sweden and the king actually spoke on her behalf because obviously you know like abba before them they had put sweden on the map as far as music and what have you went and he actually yeah had a i don't know whether he actually attended or just released a statement but he released a statement you know saying that you know what a great um swedish you know Mm. member she had been um so Roxette had six top 10 singles. They had five top 10 albums. 1989, Look Sharp, got to number four. Right. 1991, Joyride, got to number two. 1992, Tourism, got to number two. Wow. 1994, Crash Boom Bang, got to number three and then 1995 don't bore us get to the greatest hits got to number five so were you a big fan of these because you have got quite a few i love what's it yeah i do can't be you know i mean dress for success joyride 
Obviously, you know, it must have been Love, Listen to Your Heart. Yeah, I think they're a very good band. And I suppose they must like Scandinavian music, because obviously yeah. Ahara, yeah. Norway, Wokset yeah. are um, Sweden. And our, you know, ABBA for me is you a bit like too disco-y. No, no. Whereas Wokset is more more my cup of tea, much, you know, much, much for me. And yeah, I what? see them, I do see them as a, you know, when you think of the... 80s 90s music you know when you've got the beautiful south uh texas rock set they are similar i think those three three bands in a sense do you know what i'm realizing about you though like i i don't like rock like it's very rare like that i will listen to it, especially like your harder rock and you are the same but you do like the rock side of bands. So you really like Aha when they went into their more rocky side, didn't you? Yeah, they, you like, they went over to rock. It wasn't successful for them, but it was like it, it was a good sound, I thought. You know, you the Scoundrel like Days stuff. album and these are the Sunwest of the Moon album. So, yeah. yeah. And, like you, but, you know, you like, you I like Queen, little... you know, and I like... Yeah, but that doesn't count. Dire Queen, Straits. And... You like a lot more rock than I do. Yeah. But um, no, I do like Woxet. I really do. Um, well, and, um, yeah, I think I think they were unfortunate. They weren't they weren't bigger really. I think um, because I think of the music, hard, the, the, the wow. change in music in the nineties, mm. they they probably they would have been more successful. I think had they been an eighties band yeah, rather definitely. than really being in the nineties. Same, same for Texas and Beautiful South, I suppose, in a sense as well. And mm-hmm. I, was, you probably could even say Lightning Seeds, although they were, they were in between, you know, with the new. I'm surprised, you know. But when you think of the the music that was in the nineties, I'm surprised Lightning Seeds weren't more successful as well. Yeah. But, um, so, I've already already said some of them. Um, Nineteen eighty nine, The Look, number seven. It was also re-released in 1995, but only got to number 28. Okay. I really like the chorus, the female vocals, but it's quite a rock song for me. Okay. 1989, probably my favourite, although it wasn't a favourite in the 80s or 1989, the late 80s. So it only got to number 48. However, it was re-released in 1990 and got to number 18. Oh, now Dress for Success was one of well, it was my favourite. It I oh, remember like when it was playing when I was doing my notes, I was like, Oh yeah, this one. It's just catchy, like it's it's yeah. an up there song. Yeah, it's really good. I enjoyed that okay. one too. Nineteen eighty nine, Listen to Your Heart, number sixty two. It was then re released in nineteen ninety as a double A with Dangerous and got to number six. Okay, well, Listen to Your Heart would be my second favourite, but I recognised it. I just like how calm it is and how it builds up within it. Was Dangerous released as a single on its own? No, it was just a double A with Listen to Your Heart the second for that second release. I like Dangerous as well. It was upbeat and fun. Okay, so now we come to their biggest hit. Mm-hmm. Um, that didn't make it to number one as it did everywhere. It was released in 1990. It was on the film A Pretty Woman. It must have been love. Um, got to number one in America and um, 20 other countries. Yeah. Um, it was actually uh, re-released in 1993 as well and only got to number 10. 
Um, however, its original release in 1990, it got to number three. It's not bad, but yeah, it's still shocking because it got number one so many other places. Um, mm. I recognised it. Um, it's stripped back and it just shows off the beautiful vocals. Really good. So I'm just going to have a quick look. What kept it off the top spot? Yeah, like what? Because what um, are they up against it would be interesting it? to know what what made yeah. what made number one in America and as I say, many others. And obviously, you know, on the back of a, I mean, Pretty Woman was a massive film over here as well as um, everywhere else, and it was actually number three for two weeks. Um, so it, you know, it didn't improve. Uh, number one was Sacrifice by Elton John. Okay. And number two was Nessun Dorma by Pavarotti from the World Cup at the time. Because okay. it was Italia so... 90. Um, and I'm guessing they were the same two singles. I'm just going to double check that kept it off the following week as well. But um, let's just have a quick check on that if that's the case. Um Bear with me as I just quickly view the chart again. And um, yeah, the same two singles. So yeah, it's kept off by Elton John and the um, one of the BBC or ITV's theme tunes for the Italia 90 World Cup. Um, Nessan Dorma, which is a good song, but um, it, yeah, it must have been love. You'd have thought would have... Um, been better but there we go that's what happens when you release a single in the summer of the world cup so yeah but sacrifice by elton john kept it from the top spot okay moving on um we've done dangerous so we'll go to 1991 joyride another good song got to number four. Oh, straight into it catching good vocals i enjoyed that one too 1991, Fading Like a Flower, number 12. This one was a bit too rocky, too many guitar solos for me. 1991, The Big L, number 21. Bit repetitive, but I like how it's like a bit more upbeat and fast-paced. Okay, 1991, Spending My Time, number 22. Ooh, again, this is another one that shows off their vocals. So it really showed how talented they were. 1992, Church of Your Heart, number 21. Mm, this is a sing-along and I like the lyrics. Bit quiet, okay. though. Another one I like, 1992's How Do You Do, number 13. Mm, I like the female part in it. She's really catchy, really good. But the male part... He doesn't sing and he just kind of ruins it. Like it could have just been all her and made it better, I thought. Okay, 1992's Queen of Rain, Queen of Rain number 28. Mm. It's a bit of a background song. It's just slow and quiet. Couldn't get into it as much. Okay, 1993, Almost Unreal, number seven. Very quiet again. The chorus saves it, though, and brings that bit more to the song as a whole. 1994, Sleeping in My Car, number 14. Gets you moving. This one, like, it brings it back after their few quiet ones. Okay. And now the title of their last album, 1994's Crash Boom Bang, number 24. 
I was expecting more because of the name of it. But it was like the vocals are beautiful, but again they went back slow. Like they dropped a bit, I think, like towards the end. Nineteen ninety four fireworks number thirty. This one was a head bopper though. Like you know, it started to get you moving. It had that bit more to it. Nineteen ninety four one to you number twenty seven. Well, this had a good piece of music, but then they didn't do it justice by filling it with the vocals. And then lastly, nineteen ninety nines. Wish I could fly number eleven. The only way I can describe this one is with the word mysterious. Like, it weren't slow and quiet, but it weren't upbeat. It was just, like, in the middle somewhere, and I was just kind of like, ooh, what's this all about? It was, yeah. It's a bit of an odd okay. one to finish off today. All right. Moving on, then, to now we'll talk about James. Yes. So when I first played the first song, my first thought, from the first beat is that they were going to be a fun band, like an upbeat band. Um, but then obviously going through it, they have a mixture of their happy and darker songs. They like, they change their sound, I feel, as time goes on. Um, their pop rock, I'm going with, which I think is just a theme throughout this week. They are a foursome. They don't have many videos, but when I have seen them, quite chilled out, comfy clothes. But yeah, weren't much to say about that. Like, that's one thing this week I've found it hard to actually look into the band because I don't really see them. Okay, so James uh, were Jim Glennie on bass, Tim Booth on vocals, Paul Gilbertson on guitar, and Gavan Whelan on drums. They were formed in 1982, so right at oh, the beginning wow. of the 80s, yeah, they did in um, Wally Range, Manchester. Uh, oh, they're an indie pop, alternative rock, Madchester, Brit pop uh, genre group band. Uh, James were formed in Wally Range after Paul Gilbertson persuade, persuaded Jim Glennie to buy a bass guitar and form a band with him. They recruited Gavin Whelan on drums and played a few gigs under the guise of Venerable and the Diseases and Volume Distortion before setting on the name of Model Team International, or short, they just went by Model Team. Um, they supported The Fall for a gig at Manchester's Polytechnic, not long after hearing many vocalists, not, not, not long after having many vocalists drift in and out of the band, they, encount they encountered Tim Booth um, at a student disco oh. um, following a gig at Manchester's Hasadiena Club. They caught the attention of Tony Wilson of Factory Records and he offered them a contract. So obviously, oh. you know, Tony Booth, sorry, Tim Booth, Tony Booth, Tim Booth was the, the final piece of the jigsaw that they needed. And yeah. that made a difference when they were spotted at the Manchester's Hacienda, which we've spoken about before. Obviously, that was, mm. you know, one of the big clubs of the late 80s, obviously, was um, owned by Factory, um, Factory Records. They part owned it. 
along with um, Peter Hook, the bassist of New Order from Manchester, uh, the big band in Manchester at the time. So then after a brief period calling themselves Tribal Outlooks, they've had quite a few names. They yeah. renamed themselves as James in August 1982. So hence, that's when they were formed. So, um, however, the band, who were by now a settled live act, thought they might tarnish their sound in a studio. So they agreed with Factory Records on just a free track EP instead, rather than an album obviously okay. most bands are assigned to a contract with we want free albums from mm. you or whatever you know so um, a free year deal free albums yeah. you know whereas they they did they felt that they were happy to they, just they just wanted to be in us they didn't really want to be in a studio they wanted to oh. remain live and touring and doing you know little gigs and getting bigger that way Mm. So, um, so yeah, so they just done a free track EP. So the Jim, Jim One or Jimone EP was recorded at Strawberry Studios in Stockport and led to the band supporting the Smiths on their oh. 1985 tour, with the Smiths even, in, even covering James's What's the World during the tour. So they, even, oh, okay. so they were the support act, and the Smiths, who were the main thing, covered one of the support acts songs so, like yeah i'd be my brain would be smashed if yeah. that happened so you can imagine that you had two versions of the song during the mm. same concert because yeah. i'm sure they would have sang it and then obviously the smiths would have um then covered it, sang it as well so although the band were being touted as the next big thing Several issues slowed their progress, including Gilbertson's drug problems, which gave the band no choice but to ask him to leave. Oh, I was going to ask about that because a lot of like the Manchester thing isn't a lot of them um, to do with drugs. And that well, was, like, also it's around the same time as house music and acid mm. parties and drugs and that. So, yeah. But drugs has always been a part it's of, always been a part of, of the, music, the music scene from, you know, the 60s and 70s, you know. So um, it's nothing new, really. Yeah. Um, so um, as well as, as that, um, Booth and Glennie had joined a sect which called, called Live Wave, um, and that imposed many restrictions on their lifestyle and threatened the band's stability. I don't know what. Oh live wave was or what the restrictions were but yeah they, it had an impact on their lifestyle and that threatened this ability so gilbertson was replaced by the band's guitar tutor larry gott and they released a second ep james two which was over a year since the first release of jim one um and again they got positives positive reviews and um, this saw them sign an album deal with sire records so whereas oh, they originally they didn't got, want to get a yeah. uh, involved in an album they've now signed a deal for an album so um their debut album stutter was released in july 1986 and it reached number 68 in the uk album chart and then their second album 
Strip Mine was released in September 1988, um, but that only reached number 90 in the UK album chart, and thus seeing them and Sire part ways. So maybe they were right at that time about not wanting to do albums. So clearly, yeah, and it didn't go, didn't, didn't, didn't have the same impact as they did at yeah. live gigs or smaller gigs. Yeah. Um, so James had a reputation as a live act. And it had built up a solid fan base, although it wasn't a big enough fan base to help their albums, obviously. Um, And with sales of James T-shirts being particularly successful in Manchester, James financed the production of a live album with a bank loan and the help of Rough Trade Records. The album went to number one in the indie album chart, reviving media interest into the band so it's clearly they were a live act which sometimes does happen you know Mm -hmm. so then in november 1988 drummer whelan was involved in an on-stage fight with singer booth um with whelan being asked to leave the band he was replaced with david bainton power during the fall uh, so he was replaced so they've now lost two of their original so members, well, one through drugs and one through an altercation, let's say, a disagreement yeah. with the lead singer. Um, during the following year, the band expanded their lineup with the guitarist, violinist Saul Davis, keyboard player Mark Hunter, and trumpeter Andy Diagram joining the band. So they are now a seven piece lineup. They went into the studio to record a third James album with the new singles Sit Down and Come Home, both charting well in the indie charts. However, the album, Gold Mother, was due to be released by Rough Trade, but the owner of the label, Jeff Travis, believed the group would only reach an audience of around twenty to 30,000, which is roughly, I suppose, what their previous albums had reached, and obviously we know mm. how well they didn't chart. Um, However, the group felt they had something with these new singles and um, they but disagreed. They're not enough, are they? No, no. So they disagreed, believing they had more potential, and they bought the rights of their album from Rough Trade. And then, following a successful winter tour, the band signed a deal with Fontana Records. Gold Mother was released in June 1990. Just as the Mad Chester movement was, um, so the the popular Manchester-based indie bands, was taking off and gaining mainstream recognition. Um, This brought James to public attention. And uh, the singles How Was It For You, Come Home and Lose Control all broke into the top 40 of the you know, the, not in the indie charts, but the actual mainstream ah, chart. Yeah. Um, and the band's newfound success saw them sell out two dates at the Manchester GMEX arena. And in March 1991, the popularity of Sit Down led to it being re-recorded and released as a single. Gold Mother was also re-released to include Sit Down and Lose Control on the album and the album then sold 10 times more copies than travis had predicted so he turned so travis the owner of 
rough records, rough mm. trade, who had helped them originally, and then ob- but obviously didn't want to get too much behind them, saying, well, I think yourself, probably no more than twenty to 30,000. They actually sold 10 times that, so around 300,000. <laughs> so he predicted so, yeah. that wrong, didn't he? Yeah, exactly. As it said, as I say, he predicted it wrong. So um, the song Sit Down became one of the biggest selling singles of the year. Wow. In 2002, James reached the end of their contract with Fontana and Tim Booth announced he was leaving the band to concentrate on other projects of his own. The band played a farewell tour of the UK at the end of the year. In January 2007, the band reformed with Booth confirming he was rejoining Glenny, Gott, Davis, Hunter and Bainton Power to record a new album. So just Andy Diagram was not rejoining from the original seven. I say the original seven from the seven that when they were, I suppose, at their peak. Yeah. Um, And on the 4th of June 2021... The band released their 16th studio album, All the Colours of You, which reached number three on the UK album chart. So it took them a while to actually get somewhere. Yeah. Loads of band members kind of went. It was just having that luck, which I think a lot of bands yeah. need. You just need that luck. And they were lucky that they were still going. They managed to get out of that. I mean, if they'd released that album with Rough Trade... Um, if they hadn't have said no, we think it's got it's going to be bigger. If they hadn't have, if they hadn't have bought themselves out of that contract and bought the rights of that album, they that album could have been lost and James mm. with it. But luckily they didn't. And then the Manchester movement come along as well, and yeah. they just sort of jumped on that wave and went with it. Mm. So, so a lot of believing in themselves. And... You know, as we we've said before, with bands that have been unlucky i mean furniture is the probably the biggest one that we've spoken about where they had very unfortunate with record labels folding mm. and what have you that they were yeah. tied to um whereas obviously james are on the other side of the coin they got very lucky you know or yeah. i suppose not lucky they they made a decision that in the end was yeah. the right decision yeah. it could have been it could have been a totally different and who knows whether if mad the madchester movement hadn't come along would they have been as successful hard Mm. to say although sit down is a very good single so they had four top 10 singles 10 top 10 albums so bear in mind they had 16 albums studio 10 of them got to the top 10 or at least um i say 10 obviously there's a few there's at least one that's um the best of so 1990 gold mother got to number two 1992, 7 got to number 2. 1993, Laid got to number 3. 1997, Whiplash got to number 9. 1998, The Best Of got to number 1. And 1999, Girl at the End of the World got to number two. 2018, Living in Extraordinary Times got to number six. And then 2021, All the Colour of You got to number three. Okay, so they had some big albums there then. 
yeah so again you know you don't have to if you're if you've got a good fan base and now as i say obviously they are seen as a good very good live band yeah. then um you can get a following um they're not necessarily going to go out and buy your singles but they'll certainly go out and buy your oh, album sell a lot easier than singles i think though yeah so i should now go through their singles which they had quite a few so 1989 sit down the original um release which was their first top 40 single got to number seven it was then re-released in 1991 and that time it got to number two. Oh, so they better on the re-release well i recognize this one it's fun sing along like you said it's quite a big it's a big song and you like it yeah i liked it as well 1989 come home number 32 this is upbeat. It's not as much singing as there is to talking. You know, they're talky, singy type thing that people mm. like to do. Yeah, a bit of that. 1990, How Was It For You? Number 32. Oh, this one should be higher. It's got a repetitive chorus. It's just easy to lis listen to and it's nice and catchy. I would have put this one higher. 1990, Lose Control. Number 38. Yeah, I agree with that one. This one had a little change in sound. It's dark, slow, there's not much to it. 1991, sound number nine. A bit of whispering. I want to put this one that high. Yeah, I just feel like I'm constantly waiting for it to kick in. Mm. 1992, born of frustration, number 13. Okay, not bad. This one's quite rocky, but for it being quite a rock song, I quite liked it and it was nice and upbeat. 1992, Ring the Bells, number 37. Okay, good sounding, gets you moving. And what I really like is it kind of fades out towards the end, like it doesn't just abruptly end. 1993, Sometimes, number 18. Oh, it's a feel-good song. This one's up there. 1993, Laid. Number 25. I recognise this one as well. Um, it's another feel-good song. It's a sing-along one. 1994, Jam J, number 24. And then this one ruined it for me. Um, it's mostly noise. 1997, She's a Star, number 9. Uh, it shows off their talent, this one, with the singing. 1997, Tomorrow, number 12. Again, this is another one that gets you moving. It's a good beat to it. 1997, Waltzing Along, number 23. This one goes back to before, you know, I said, oh, they change their sound a bit and they go a bit harsher. Yeah. This one takes you back to more of a fun song like they, the first couple were. Now we're going into 1998, Destiny Calling, number 17. This was my favourite. I like the lyrics and the beat. Okay. 1998, Run Aground, number 29. Yeah, this one's in the background for me. It's just a bit quiet. Didn't really bring much. Okay. 1999, I Know What I'm Here For, number 22. Okay, it's upbeat and catchy. Okay. Now, a weird title. Um, 1999's Just Like Fred Astaire, number 17. 
Astaire. So who is Fred Astaire? Is that a real person? Well, he was a he was an old an old. Um, uh, I think he's American um, film star, like musical sort of thing. I think. Okay. Um, it's just on the rock side. It didn't do much for me. And in 2001, Getting Away With It, All Messed Up, number 22. It's got a good beat to it. There's just not much body to it. So, that was James. Now we go on to Technotronic. Yes. Um, now, what do I say about these? This one went very... They're electronic. Hip-hop, I want to go as well. The name gives it away. Like with the electronic, I'd say mostly a producer or DJ kind of group, and like they had a feature artist on to come and do the vocals. Um, the one thing I do like about them is their songs could be used for a workout. Like they're really like I don't know. Like yes, they're electronic and they're very like in your ears. They get you moving. Like they make you just want to get out and do get it done. Um, can't tell you who is in the band or producer or whatever they are about because the vocalist changes in every song, so every video shows different people. So I can't tell you who's who. Um, the video show off dancing that would have been very nineties, like very nineties street kind of looking, um, with what they're wearing. Everyone in the videos all wear like. Um, what hip hop when you think of hip hop genre they're wearing that um, but yeah not much to say about them these were the least songs that I had for the week um, and I reckon I'd pump up the jam that was one that again I'm intrigued to see where it did come because I thought that would be a number one um, but yeah Dang. so Technotronic were Joe Bogart and Manuela Camozzi uh, they were that she was the main one as i go through you're right in there is different ones they were formed in 1987 in aust belgium oh. they're a euro dance hip house new beat tech house oh i'm way off. group band whatever you want to call i mean they're not a band but you know what i mean um, yeah uh, music uh, making artists piece. you know yeah. so uh, so joe bogart was behind technotronic and he gained popularity as a solo artist with various various new beat projects. And then together with rapper Manuela Camozzi, he produced the single Pump Up The Jam, which was initially an instrumental release. Um, and then based on Farley Jackmaster's funk's The Acid Life, he included vocal samples from Eddie Murphy's Delirious live set from 1983 um months later he replaced this with newer music and included lyrics from Kamozi, also known as ya kid k um prior to the singles international release in september 1989 so he completely changed it bogart then dis adopted the name thomas de quincey as a front for the act um, which was put together in a way similar to other Eurodance, Europop acts like Black Box and Millie Vanilli. Um, he also used Congolese-born fashion model Feli 
Kalingi, who was presented as the group's rapper um, and appeared on the singles covers and in the music videos, even though she wasn't the rapper. Minosi right. was. Uh, Kamosi was. Uh-huh. But they... So yeah, she was very more much like, like Millie Vanilli. She was the face, yeah. but not the yeah. sound. Yeah. Just yeah. like Millie Vanilli, as we know were. Mm-hmm. Um, so the success of the project's uh, first single led to the release of Pomp Up the Jam, the album. Oh. Um, which featured tracks by Yarkid K and MC Eric. During 1990, the album would climb into the top 10 on the Billboard Hot 200 album chart in the US. Oh. They also became the opening act for Madonna and appearances on Saturday Night Live and Showtime at the Apollo. It was at this time that Yarkid K, Manuela Camosi, got credited on Technotronic Singles as she was actually the featured vocalist, although Feli still lip-synced the backing vocals in the video for Get Up Before the Night Is Over. It's mad. So, they made it quite big in America then. Yeah, clearly, but to, it's quite to sad. Um, support Madonna. Mm. But it's quite sad that she didn't get her, like, get credited for it much earlier, considering uh, how much yeah. she did. Yeah. And I wonder, I don't know the timelines, whether they saw what happened with Manili Vanilli, mm. Millie Vanilli, and then they thought, oh, hang on. Um, I'm not sure. But um, mm. yeah. Uh, so the follow up single, which made number seven. So, sorry. I'm not, so yeah. So Feli was still um, linked to the band and lip synced in the backing vocals, not the main vocals. In the video right. for Get Up Before the Night Is Over. This was the follow-up single, which made number seven on the US Billboard Hot 100. Okay. So by 1991, Yarkid K had left Technotronic to pursue a solo career. Fair and enough. various <laughs> other vocalists took over, including Melissa and Einstein, otherwise known as Melissa Bell and rapper MC Einstein. And Reggie also known as Rijan Maglor. Uh, Reggie provided vocals to six tracks on the second album, Body to Body. So I suppose Reggie became the new Yarkid K. Yeah. Um, in 1993, a Greatest Hits album was released and saw the return of Yarkid K on the vocals for new songs, Hey Yo, There We Go and one plus one and in 1994 with yarkid k still the front woman the single move it to the rhythm was released along with the album we call in 1995 which also featured daisy d on two tracks so they did use quite a lot of other artists yeah so you've got what yarkid k mc eric uh melissa and einstein reggie and now you've got daisy d as well so that's mm. five so technotronic returned in 1999 with new singles g train and like this which featured male vocalists monday midnight in 2000 yarkid k returned again for a third time as the group's vocalist to release a non-album single the mariachi 
to moderate success. MC Eric and Yarkid K reunited to tour Europe, South America and Australia to commemorate Technotronic's 20th anniversary in 2007. Now, although obviously MC Eric and Yarkid K reunited, I don't know whether the actual founder, the producer, the person who put it all together, um, what did I say his name was? Joe Bogart, who was also known as Thomas De Quincey, whether he's yeah. still involved with Technotronic or whether it's now just a vocalist doing, yeah. doing the music that was mm-hmm. so I'm not sure whether he's still involved, but obviously Yarkid K um I was gonna say Yarkid K is still coming back. Yeah. They go um, off and do their own thing, but they come back to support yeah. kind of each time there's a new album or some whenever something's happening. Yeah, well, no, she wasn't. She wasn't with them for the second album. She'd left. That was mainly Melissa Bell and rapper MC Einstein, Melissa and Einstein, and then Reggie. And Reggie was who had six tracks on that oh, album. Oh yeah. And then she came back for the third. And then she came back for the back for, for the, the um, recall album. So um, they had four top ten singles, two top ten albums, nineteen nineties. Pump Up the Volume got to number two, and um, also 1990 Trip on This Remixes got to number seven. Okay. So the Body to Body album didn't actually chart as well. No. Regarding their singles, mm-hmm. 1989 Pump Up the Jam featuring Felly, which obviously we now know this should be Yarkid K, yeah. um, that got to number two. Oh, see, I'm close. Um, yeah. I recognised it straight off from the name. Um, it's a well-known song. Feel good, gets you moving. Yeah, and it, I'd just like to add, it was 1989. It was released, so it's um, you know, a bit like um, Fool's Gold, which is seen as Stone Roses. Mm-hmm. Big one. Although you preferred the other song from the double A that it was released with. Yeah, I did. Um, um both released in 1980. Nine. Yeah. Unlike what's Oh, yeah, like their big songs, yeah. Pump Up the Jam's also my favourite. Okay. Um, It was also re-released in 1996. It got to number 36. And then again in 2005, where it got to number 22. Oh, that's why it's so well known then. They've been releasing it every decade. Yeah, yeah. Um, also in nine, so now we're going to 1990. Get up before the night is over, featuring Yarkid K, who obviously mm-hmm. we know was actually in Pump Up the Jam, yeah, but wasn't recognised at the time. Um, however, she also got a number two. Okay, there's some catchy lyrics, and it's fast paced, but it's mostly sound. <laughs> 1990, the this beat is Technotronic. Featuring MC Eric got to number 14. It's just very repetitive. The beat stays the same throughout. It doesn't give you much. Okay. 1990, Rocking Over the Beat, featuring Yarkid K, number nine. This is another one that gets you moving. I'd do a workout to this one as well. It's nice and upbeat. Uh, then we had the 1990 Mega Mix that got to number six. This is just snippets of previous songs. Yeah, yeah, it's just a mix, yeah. 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 Uh, 1991, Move That Body, got to number 12. Okay. I'm not sure what they're saying, 
but it's quite nice to have a bit more lyric in there and then we got 1991 work featuring reggie and that got to number 40. okay this was like my second favorite i like the vocals and how it changes it up for the chorus okay moving on then to 808 state yes so i've gone with rap hip-hop and electronic with these um they're another group that's all about the sound and this is a, the group that hurt my ears oh, really? a bit too much um yeah. there's not much to say when it's just about the sound and it's not always good sound it's just noise put together Okay. And that's one thing I will never understand how this type of music, where it's just like sounds mashed together, get into the charts. Like, who's buying this? What are they getting out of it? What are they using this for? Like, technically, well, this... I guess, like I said, you could use it for exercising. This, don't get it. And again, there's not many videos, so I can't really tell you mm. who's in the band. I think it's a trio of men, but I'm not one of them. Would it would it um, be now a good not a good point then to say I bought a single? Which one? One of the ones that I've got. Yeah. Go on. Which one? Pacific. Shut up! No, yes. you didn't. Yeah. You like that? Yeah. Oh, but then you were, you liked Heart of Noise, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. See, I where we can't agree. You know, I just don't get it. Like, what? Why? Do you ever put it on and just jam to it? Like, what, what do you I'll get, have to get out? I'll have to send you it or put it on Twitter, when I, as here it is, 808 State Pacifics. But, but what do you get out of it when you're listening? I just that? like the, I like that. I, I did have a, I mean, not a, um, I mean, you got to remember that, I mean, it's funny because I had a tape. There was a tape where, um, well, I had two. I had a Philharmonic Orchestra one where they'd done all the hits of the eight. They'd done the hits of the eighties, so there's no vocals. It's just the, but that's the orchestra. That's a bit different. But mm. I, I also had a tape with um, all the theme tunes of like Miami Vice, um, Axel F, and um, oh, what's the film with Eddie Murphy? Can't think even what it was called now. Uh, he was known as Axel F, um, Axel Foley um which my mind's gone blank but it had all like different you know superman and you know all the the anthems and i just loved it and then i had a sport there's a sport one with the different bbc music for the different sports like the grand national wimbledon tennis ski sunday i just yeah love you don't have to necessarily have vocals all the time if you've got no, good music you need vocals like i just don't get anything out of it if there's no vocals um, and was it Beverly Hills Cop? That's it. Thank you. Yes, yes. Anyway, so, yeah, moving I just on to don't get what you get out of it at no. all. Um, listen to Howard Fultemeyer, Axel F. Brilliant sound. Um, or even Mike Oldfield, Mike Oldfield, Tubular Bells. Just listen to that album. You know, a whole album. Um, Mike Oldfield, Tubular Bells. So. Yeah. We have touched on it before, though, with Vangelis, Chariots of Fire. Yeah, and that weren't bad, but it's still not me. Listen to Axel F, Howard Fultemeyer. Good song. Howard no, no, Fultemeyer, Axel F. I'm sure I've probably got him down for our solo. Not that he's a singer, but um, 
yeah, Axel F was a big song in the 80s. Okay. Um, from obviously based on the film, because um, it's named after Beverly, uh, um, Eddie, Eddie Murphy's character, Axel Foley, hence Axel F. So, yes. Okay. Anyway, well, uh, I'm digesting again. Um, moving on to 808 State. So, they were Graham Macy, keyboards, guitar. Gerald Simpson, keb, keyboards. He left in 1989. Martin Price, keyboards. Darren Partington, electronic drums. And Andy Barker on bass. They were formed in 1987. They were another lot from Manchester. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were electronic, techno, mad Chester and acid house yeah 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 so martin price was the owner of manchester's influential eastern block records and he was also the founder of the independent record label creed his customers graham massey and gerald simpson joined price to form a hip-hop group called hit squad manchester the group shifted to an acid house sound and recorded their debut album, New Build, in 1988, at the same time changing their name to 808 State. Okay. Uh, New Build was released on Price's own label, with Macy saying in a 2005 interview that the album was recorded over the course of a winter weekend. So again, we're talking about Roxette not being able to do a song for a film. And they done a whole album in a weekend, supposedly. Um, In January 1988 at Spirit Studios Manchester. The album is named after a Bolton housing cooperative, hence New Build. Um, At around the same time, the band recorded an acid house version of New Order's Blue Monday which became a favourite of the Hacienda's Hot Night, the Manchester nightclub, which was owned by New Order's Peter Hook, as we've touched on said. Already. And this is obviously Hacienda. The Ma- so obviously you've got the Manchester movement, Manchester is now taking off. The Hacienda was probably the nightclub where everything happened. Mm-hmm. And having New Order, who were already a probably most of these influence yeah um owning it with factory rec so if you got on there not only were you making it big because of peter hook but also because most of them would then sign up to factory records who was also the part owners with peter hook of hacienda mm-hmm. so not only were you so, getting in with someone already in the music business but you was also hopefully getting your next record deal yeah like you had everything was kind of at that one club weren't it so it's a bit like the blitz for the new romantics mm-hmm. um that the obviously it you was know was a big thing of the place. 80s for yeah. the 90s it was the hacienda in manchester yeah, yeah. um so the bands so, and also before that you had eric's and liverpool all the liverpool bands okay and the cavern obviously were um Beatles, obviously, uh, but later on, it, Eric's was the main. Was I was going to say, would it not have been Eric's that they came from? But no, they were no, not early. I'm but... pretty sure they were the Cavern. Um, so the band's song "Pacific State" was released in 1989, with Simpson leaving not long after to pursue his own solo project, a guy called Gerald. Mm-hmm. 
The remaining two of Price and Massey enlisted DJs Andrew Barker and Damon Partington, who were known as the Spin Masters. The band then signed to ZTTT Records, who we all know was Trevor Horn. Frankie yeah. goes to Hollywood, obviously, yeah. you know, so um, big one there. And they released their second album, 90, in December 1989. MC Tunes album, The North, The North at Its Heights, sorry, The North at Its Heights, couldn't read my own writing there, uh, <laughs> was in collaboration with 808 State, um, who produced it. And although the album had moderate success, reaching number 26 in the UK album charts, it did have the hit single, The Only Rhyme That Bites, um, which was credited as MC Tunes versus 808 State. So although it was MC Tunes and it was on his album, the, it was produced by 808 State. So they were more of a producer sort of people. Yeah. Than um, anything else. But obviously, they did release their own material as well. And following the release of their third album, XL, uh, no, oh, sorry, X Cell is two different. So you've got X, right. E, X, and yeah. then Cell, C, E, L. Um, in 1991, Price left the group to concentrate on solo work um, and eventually formed his own label again, Sun Text. Bear in mind, he already had his own label originally called Creed. He's gone back to where his roots um, with some text. Um, the remaining members continue and released a fourth album, Gorgeous. And afterwards, they did some remix work for David Bowie. In 1998, they released a Greatest Hits compilation album named 808-8898. Um, Partington left the band after being jailed for 18 months in January 2015 for dealing in heroin and crack cocaine, while Barker unfortunately died on the 6th of November 2021, leaving Graham Macy, the founder, um, as the sole remaining member of the group. Uh, they had four top 10 singles, one top 10 album, which was 1991's XL at number four. Okay. So they've not done as much, but they were still in with it all. But they were more producers. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. they were very much on the, they were the later version of the Beatmasters. Mm. Um, was it the Cookie Crew? Uh, yeah, the Cookie Crew, yeah. Beatmasters, yeah. that sort of, you know. So whereas the Beatmasters, that were the start of Hip House and that, these moved it on, I suppose, to the Acid yeah. House. Acid. And, and tech. techno and yeah. what have you. So yeah. yeah. I just also what baffles me is how they all get in trouble. I'm like, why does that have to be a thing? Money, fame, unfortunately, mm. I guess. Just like stay out um, of trouble. So, so 808 state singles. Um 1989's Pacific State got to number 10. Yeah. It was also re-released in 1998 as a double a with cubic cubic and got to number 21 i just don't get it it starts off so slow you can't even tell if it started and i remember listening to this one in my car thinking that my like um connection had stopped like from my phone i was like it 
it was just really, really quiet. No lyrics, just sounds. Don't know why you've got it. Um, was Cubic released on its own or just as this double A? You'll find out. It was released um, also on its on. Okay. It will. It was released at another time, which I'll right, come okay. to I'll in a minute. What I so think yeah, when you do that, yeah. then let's give it its own. Uh, Nineteen ninety, the only rhyme that bites. MC Tunes versus Eight to Eight State got to number ten. Was any part of this ever in a film? Because the music at the start, I really recognise, but I don't recognise the rest of the song. Mm, and right. I just feel like it could have been in a film, like, you know, like some sort of theme tune or something. Yeah. Not that I'm aware of, but that's not to say it wasn't. Okay. Well, I like that part of music. There's just not much body to it in general. Okay. 1990, Tunes Splits the Atom, another of the MC Tunes versus 808 State. Uh, got to number 18. Okay. I like the rapping in this one. The music's just too loud. Okay. So now we come to 1990, Cubic, a double A with Olympic. Uh, oh. And that got to number 10. Right. So Olympic. Okay. Cubic. I skipped. It hurt me ears. <laughs> Way too much. <laughs> it was horrible. And then I did try and listen to it again. When I was doing my notes and I still couldn't get into it, I was like, nah, it's too much. I can't deal. Like, actually, mate, like, trying to force, like, I had to force myself. It's awful. Not needed. Yeah, that's enough. Olympic, again, no lyrics. It just had this repetitive sound. So they work well together. Preferred Olympic over Cubic. Preferred um, Pacific Pacific State? State over Cubic. But none of them have lyrics. So that's, yeah. Okay, you're not going to with 808 State. They don't have a singer. They're producers. Yeah, no, they don't. So the only thing was obviously when they got with MC Tunes, the rapper. Right. Um, so 1991, In Your Face, number nine. It sounds like it could be for Halloween. Mm. It's got a weird sound into it. Mm. Okay, we now come to 1991 and another AA. Uh, lift and open your mind got to number 38 okay it just sounds like they've pushed loads of random buttons and just put it together like it's not a good piece of music at all we then come to 1992 one in 10 and that got to number 17 they had ub for this says featuring ub40 Oh, right. Okay. There was no... So I had high hopes. There was nothing UB40 about this. <laughs> nothing. And I'm like, where was their input? But yeah, it was like... Maybe, maybe they took a sample of UB40 and had to credit them. I don't know. I maybe. just certainly didn't have UB40 come up on my bit. It was just um, 808. Ah, but no, they had UB... Like, UB40 listed in part of it and I was like okay let's go nah okay. nothing so yeah it could be like what you say um and then in 1997 Lopez got to number 20 this was my favorite there's something there's actual like a singer going on in there um and that's all I could focus on I was just like happy with it having a little bit of singing in it and that's why it was my favorite 
Okay. And obviously, as I've already said, 1998, you had the Pacific and Cubic double mm-hmm. um, A, which got to number 21. So moving on then. Swiftly, I probably would say to Happy Mondays. Maybe um, this made you a bit happier. I don't know. Let's find well, out. Yeah. So the, the name of it, I was like, yes, they're going to give me good vibes. Then I started listening, and we're back to rock. But at least there's a bit of vocals. Um, this is the one where I was like, oh, are they part of the Manchester scene thing? Again, they can't really sing. And that's where I was like, rock stars don't have to be good singers to actually get um, anything from it. When I was watching the videos, um, so they like sunglasses and they like chilled baggy clothes. But when I was watching them, I was like, I recognise, like the one of the front men has a very familiar face. I was like, you look like someone I know. Connor was sat next to me. So I went, do you know who that man is? And he was looking, he looked for a while. And he pointed out it was Sean Ryder. And then when I watched videos later on, I was like, oh, if I just waited, I might have actually. But I'm not good with names anyway. So I know who Sean Ryder is. Um, But then Connor was talking about a guy called Bez as well and pointed him out. And I was like, I don't know who Bez is, not going to lie. But then to say something weird, so Dancing on Ice has started. I don't know if you watch it. No. Although I should, because John Fashion is on it, obviously ex-Wimbledon. Yeah. But I, so it started last Sunday, so a week ago today, and I watched it today. I hadn't had time to actually watch it, so I watched it this morning. And we got midway through, and there was a competition. And down on a blooming watermelon, Holly Willoughby goes, from Happy Mondays, here's Bez. I went, this is weird. This is weird. Connor didn't find it weird, but I said, I've chosen to watch this today after finishing my notes, and I would have just finished Happy Monday. No, I did Happy Mondays last night. But anyway, I was like, this is weird. It Now I know who Bez is. They look very similar, you know, because I went, that's not Bez. It looks like Sean Ryder. And Connor went, no, it's definitely Bez. And Connor was saying that they used to be high on drugs all the time and he was adamant that Bez was high on dancing on well, ice. Bez just I don't know what he did to the band. All he done was play maracas or tambourine or whatever. That's, That's what all he said. Done. He was a tambourine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tambourine or maracas or yeah. Yeah. Just a percussionist. Yeah. So Connor seems to know a bit about happy so. days. I was like I only know Sean Ryder because he was in the jungle. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So Happy Mondays were Sean Ryder vocals. Yeah. Gary Whelan on drums, not Gavin Whelan that we've already spoke about on whoever it was with someone else. Um, I can't remember now who it was. Uh, James had Gavin Whelan. They've got... Gary. Oh, I'm trying to go back to my... So James had... Because I was getting confused when I was writing. I thought, hang on, I've had him. So James had Gavin Whelan was Happy Mondays have Gary, Gary Whelan on drums. Not the right. same person, not to not be confused, not that I know of. Not related. Um, then they had Mark Bez Berry on percussion. <laughs> oh, they made it sound fancy. 
Then you had Mark Day on guitar, Paul Davis on keyboards, and Paul Ryder, who I'm guessing is a relation of Sean Ryder's, mm. on maybe his brother, cousin, on bass. They were formed in 1980 in Salford, Manchester, and they are an indie dance, Madchester, and the old Neo Psychedelia. Mm. Which oh, is obviously part of the Manchester. So, I just had so, a yeah. rock. So the band was signed to Factory Records, funny enough. Yeah. yeah. Um, after posting a demo tape to Phil Sachs, a trader at Manchester Armsdale, Armdale, a shopping centre, yeah. um, who was on friendly terms with Mike Pickering, a DJ at the Hacienda. So he obviously then played it and I guess a representative of Factory Records was there, saw how the 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 crowd reacted and mm-hmm. signed them up. Ah. So yes. And then um Sax became the band's manager who they'd given the initial demo to. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So their first release was an EP called Forty Five also known as delightful after the first track that it was really and it was released in september 1985 oh okay on wait for it factory records yeah so in 1987 the band released their first album uh squirrel and g g man 24 hour party people Plastic face count can't smile. That is okay. Imagine going into I don't know HMV. Yeah, can I have the new album by the Happy Mondays? The Who Happy Mondays. So, what's the album school called? Yeah, it's called Squirrel and G Man. Twenty four hour party people. Plastic face can't smile. White out. It's just a lot. Like oh, yeah, I know which one you mean now. Yeah, I mean Christ, this is a, that's a got to be the, one of the obviously going for the Guinness Book of Records for the longest album title. Yeah. I mean, when I was right now, I thought really it's still so, going. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this was quickly followed by a further two albums because I'm guessing, as was in the days, they obviously when they signed to Factory Records, they probably signed for an. You know, three three years, three albums. Mm-hmm. So they needed an album a year, or you know, like that along those lines. So it was quickly followed by a further two albums: 1988's Bummed and 1990's Pills and Thrills and Belly Aches. Um, and it was the latter, Pills and Thrills and Belly Aches, uh, that sold more than. 350,000 copies and went platinum in the UK, which obviously then got them noticed um, more yeah. nationally than yeah. just Manchester. By the late 80s, Happy Mondays were an important part of the Manchester music scene and personified the rave culture, also known as Manchester. Due to numerous world tours, the band had international success as well as having massive success in the home com- in their home country. In 1990, the band headlined the Friday night at the Glastonbury Festival. In November 1990, 
Paul McCartney commented how he'd seen Happy Mondays on TV, more than likely at Glastonbury, and they reminded him of the Beatles in their Strawberry Fields phase. So there you go. Happy Mondays being linked with the Beatles. From never thought I'd Beatles. see that from one of the Beatles themselves, yeah. Which um, I yeah. never thought I'd yeah. ever, ever see or um. I wouldn't have put that. I like. I'm just shocked that they were so big and people bought them, and they were yeah. so big well, in the country. Like we've we've got more revelations to come. Okay. Not one that I'm happy in. Wasn't happy in writing about, and I certainly won't be happy in reading out. I'll come to that in a minute. So musically, the band fused indie pop guitars and rhythmic style that owed much to house music and the Northern Soul. And we touched on the Northern Soul with um, Soft Cell back in Series 1. Yeah. Because they took the song Tainted Love from the Northern Soul movement. So there you go. So we've literally now gone... All full circle from series one to series three with the Happy Mondays You're and bringing up the same. Yeah. So yeah, um, with much of their music being remixed by popular DJs, which emphasised the dance influence even further, and that's why they were big. Obviously, I suppose it was like the seventies with the hippies, when you know, with the wacky backy, as it was, you know, and listen to the music. Yeah. These people were high on, you know, cocaine and what have you, mm. raving along to this music. No so wonder no it's so because everyone's just on drugs. Everyone's so. amazing while they're on drugs. <laughs> Try and listen so to it sober. The band's fashion, which also crossed hippie, funny enough, with 1970s glamour, which was seen to help encourage the psychedelic revival associated with the acid, acid house even more. And the band accredited with influence in the Stone Roses, Oasis and the Charlatans. Now, I'm not sure how they, I suppose because they were on the, the rave scene, they were, obs- I mean, as I say, they were formed in the uh, very early 80s, weren't they? In 19, well, 1980. So they were formed at the very beginning, but mm. they didn't do any, they didn't really make it big until the very end. However, they were probably doing the local gigs and that. And so yeah, people yeah. like the Stone Roses and Charlatans, who were now coming into their own in the 1990s. Yeah were influenced by the early Happy Mondays and what they became. So weird. So now we go in to, if I had a violin, I'd be playing it. Oh, all right. In January 1991, Happy Mondays played at Rockin' Rio 2 at the Maracana Stadium, the same festival as Prince. Guns N' Roses, George Michael, In Excess, Aha, and New Kids on the Block, who headlined each day from 18th to the 27th of January. Happy Mondays played on the 26th, which also saw the record for a paying audience when 198,000 people Watch the headliners of that day, AHA. At the time, AHA were no longer a commercial band. Obviously, we're now into 1991. Even though 
the band were the headliners that day and broke the record. This is Magna and Paul's account um, of, an M- in an M- of an MTV interviewed. Um, sorry, this is Magna and Paul's account. MTV interviewed everybody but us. Ahas, Powell says. Um, to uh, Music Week in 2009. Wait, so MTV interviewed everyone but Aha? Yes, even right. though they were the ones who broke the record, cause, and they were the headliners. Yeah. But the problem is, in 1991, Aha weren't the well, big band no, they were in the yeah, 80s. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they were has-beens, even yeah. though they were still, you know. Um, so, yeah, so they interviewed everyone but us, says Powell, in, a music week, uh, in an interview of Music Week in 2009. Um, I felt very alienated, keyboardist Magna adds. Still... We were very excited to read NME and the Melody Maker because we felt at least they'd have to acknowledge our popularity. Instead, they wrote about Happy Mondays. It made us feel hopeless. We played to the biggest crowd in the world and they totally ignored it for the Happy Mondays. Oh. So there you go. Happy Mondays played in that very same venue on the very same day that Aha broke the record. And Aha and was yet completely Aha ignored. Never got mentioned because they weren't the commercial nah, that, that's a joke. that Happy Mondays were. You know, so yeah. That's a joke. That's a joke. Now, dude. Happy Mondays, their fourth album, Yes Please, was released in 1992, so the year after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was produced by Chris France and Tina Weymouth. So, obviously, you know who they are. So, if you can let me know. let Remind the viewers how much you've taken on board of what we've been doing in the last three series. Don't and let me know me. who Chris France and Tina Weymouth are. I will start the clock. I don't even. Two groups. Do 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 do. Your answer, please. Oh, you can't remember. This isn't good. Okay. Joking aside, Chris France and Tina Weymouth, the husband and wife team, from Talking Heads and the Tom Tom Club. Oh yes. The names. I don't know. Now you said that. I know exactly who they are. So they produced this album. Um, It was recorded at Eddie Grant's studio in Barbados. We will come to Eddie Grant in the soloist section. Um, But he was beginning 80s. Um, So they were recorded at his studios in Barbados. The album was a commercial failure that bankrupted Factory Records, along with New Order who reportedly spent 400000 on recording their comeback album, Republic. So London Records, who uh, were interested in taking over Factory, however, the deal <laughs> fell through after London found out that New Order owned their back catalogue, not the record label. Um, oh, so with Factory also co-owning Hasidemia, has Hacienda with New Order's Peter Hook. The club closed in 1997. So Happy Mondays 
not only upset Aha, they also bankrupted Factory Records and, in a sense, then... the end of the Hacienda nightclub. And it's funny because Peter Hook has since brought out an autobiography and it was titled How Not to Run a Club. Stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How Not to Run a Club. That is amazing. Yeah. But how did it affect the club if by bankruptcy? Because they part-owned it. They part-owned the, the, the club, didn't they? Yeah, but they only bankrupt Baku Records. Not the well, if you haven't got any money, how are you paying the bills? Yeah, but Baku Records aren't to do with New Order, who part yeah, New, Order, New Order were obviously on Factory Records books as well. Oh, so they weren't getting the income so, from Factory Records. Yeah, yeah. The income into the club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm with yeah. you. Domino effect. Yeah. So, yes. Um, Happy Mondays disbanded in 1993, although they have reformed several times in subsequent decades, 1990 to 2001. 2004 to 2010 and 2012 until now so they're still going what are they doing a, now? well yeah it's a, I'd probably just tour in um 90 so whereas i go to the 1980 festivals i'm sure there's 1990 festivals the same mm-hmm. so yeah, there they're probably involved in those they have their own um, rewind and one thing you, i was expecting you to mention but you didn't as a footnote sean Ryder and bez are regularly seen on Celebrity Gogglebox. Oh, but I don't watch the celebrity version that Ah, much. well, they're on that. Mm, but, yeah, Together. now you said that. But I was like, when Connor said Bez, I was like, who's Bez? Like, I only knew, really, of Sean Ryder. But I only know Sean Ryder, really, because of The Jungle. Yeah. But now you've said that. If I watched Celebrity Gogglebox more often, I would have... But I, I prefer the normal Gogglebox. And that was the other thing I've got on it. And Sean Ryder was also part of. Yeah. And Bez literally um, appeared on Dark I'm a celebrity. Last weekend, so. So, yeah. Well, I didn't know that. I don't watch that. Um, Happy Mondays had two top ten singles. One top ten album. Uh, 1990s Pills and Thrills and Belly Aches, which got to number four. Their names are so weird. So. Happy Monday singles. 1989, the Mad Chester EP, which had two singles, really, that were the main ones. Hallelujah, um, which featured Kirsty McCall and Ray Vaughan, and it got to number 19. Okay. Hallelujah is just repetitive, and Ray Vaughan has a long intro and is mostly sound. Okay. They then covered John Congo's 1971 um, Step On, which he got to number four with. Um, in 1990, Step On by the Happy Mondays got to number five. Okay. Weren't it Step Up? Oh, it might be Step Up. I've written Step On, but it could be Step Up. You might be right. I've got Step Up. But it's quiet vocals, not much body to it. I quite like the build-up for it, though, like getting to the chorus. I'm now just checking. I'm sure you're right as you listen to it. Um, but for those that may want step on. No, I'm right. Step on. You sent me step up. Oh, wow. Sorry. I sent step up. I meant step on. You must have listened to step on. I did listen to step on, but I just copied what you sent me. From <laughs> <that>. <laughs> okay. Um, 1990, Kinky Afro, number five. It's a fun song. 
just no idea what they're singing. Okay. 1991, Loose Fit, number 17. This was my favourite. It's the chilled out song, and I like the chorus. Okay. 1991, Judge Fudge, number 24. This is very rocky and very shouty. Okay. So 1992, again, they covered, they must have liked him. John Congo's, also from 1971, number four hit. Stinking Thinking, which for Happy Mondays got to number 31. Mm, it was just quiet. There weren't much to it. Didn't bring anything. Okay. And in a song I'm sure you've listened to already this in this podcast, because it was by a group who um, we have covered. Thin Lizzy's 1976 hit, which they got to number eight with. Happy Monday's version in 1999 of The Boys Are Back in Town got to number 24. Yeah, Thin Lizzy's is so much better. Happy Monday's version is just very chaotic. Mm-hmm. I was like, what is going on? Okay, well, that brings us to the end of this week. Uh-huh. And also, in a sense, it brings us to the end of this this. Well, yeah, this whole thing. Although I have got, as I did say last week, um, I've now worked out. So it's it's either done on how many groups or stroke um, music there is. So you didn't have that many. Now we have got one, two, three, four more episodes of 1980s groups that I had overlooked because they probably had a minor hit. Okay. Or I just didn't even think about them, like the very first one I'll be telling you tonight that you've got next week. And then we're going into, we've got another, what, one, two, three, four episodes again. So we've got eight more episodes to go yet. Um, But the last episodes are ones of bands that didn't make it. But they had a hit in the top 100, not the top 40, but that was it and never seen again. And it's just to get you to say, if they had a bit of luck, do you think they could have maybe made it? Now that you've heard what the 80s was like, I mean, you've got literally a mixture Mm. from the very beginning of the 80s up until now. Although the music, the music, in a sense, if you think we started with electronic, we've finished now with Technotronic, 808 State very electronic Mm -hmm. we had the rock at the beginning um with queen and others from the 70s stroke 80s we finished with very much that soft rock of texas Mm. rock set and beautiful south from last week you know so there is that it's just the um the sophisticated pop and the um what is it i like i've even forgotten what it's called um Oh, what's the genre I like? Hey? Synth pop. Synth pop, thank you. That's what I was trying to think. Um, Synth pop and sophisty pop, which is what I suppose was the 80s. We don't, that obviously was. It's not a massive pop. It was more 1982 to, I suppose, 1987, 88. Yeah. Whereas the soft rock and electronic music sound, that has, has continued, but in different forms now. Yeah. Yeah. So I just want to show you the ones that missed out okay. um, groups that I people probably might, haven't even heard of, but they did have a hit as far as the top 100. Maybe we could, like we could relate them. And then well, 
I'll leave that to you if you think, oh, that actually reminds me of such and such. So, yeah. Um, But before I give you next week and um, groups that I've missed and one group that I'm surprised even had a hit in the 80s, um, we should go on to uh, did I influence you or did I not influence you this week? So we'll start with Texas. Texas. I very much enjoyed and you did influence me. I really like I like them and they were straight off. Like I said at the beginning I was a bit like mm, couldn't get into them, but the more I listened, the more I'm there and I really enjoyed them. Okay. As for Stone, Stone Roses, Roses. Yeah, didn't. They're just not for me. They're not for me either, I've got to say. I like Fool's Gold, but only because I like that intro. Do, 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 Yeah. But, yeah, not really for me. Okay. Rock set. They did. I enjoyed them. They gave me like. Not a group I like, but yeah. Oh, yeah, you don't like them. No, I like them. Yeah. They're a good one. There's songs that I'll definitely be revisiting. And James. It's the same with James. Again, Ooh. I like them, so you did with them, and they've got some songs that I'll be revisiting as well. Okay. So we move on to the Technotronic. Do I have to say whether you did? <laughs> I can you, guess it's a no. It's a definite no. It's just there's no there's no way you could influence me no matter how many songs you send how much you tell me about them how big they were whatever there's no way that i can get into that and they weren't really that big it was just to pump up the jam really yeah. was their yeah. song um i don't even need to ask I them would, to state with technotronic i would pop them out for like a workout but more like just the ones that i liked like pump up the jam and rock in the beat yeah, again, you don't need to ask about 808 State. You, there's no way that you could influence them on to me either. So definitely didn't. And Happy Mondays, you did not as well. I don't know what that was. That was a weird... It yeah, just, it's funny like, that people people made a big thing of Manchester. But the two main ones to behind it, Stone Roses and happy mondays as i say they're not they're not ones i've got you know i love the farm which aren't who aren't madchester aren't mad but that they had that music you know all together now all together that for me is much better and it's the same with james oh sit down you know they they, they were music that you could dance whereas happy mondays and stone roses i what they were why they were so big in it I suppose it was Manchester had been in the dark from Liverpool, which obviously we know there's yeah. a rivalry in, mm-hmm. in those two cities anyway, obviously because of the football and that. And I suppose they just wanted to get behind their music scene, but yeah. obviously their time was to come a bit later with um, Oasis. But mm-hmm. I think they jumped the gun, really. You know, they had New Order, you know, who were probably as good, if not better, than Liverpool's OMD. Um, obviously, Liverpool also had Frank Goes Hollywood. They had the Beatles before that, Jerry mm. the Pacemakers. There was a lot coming out of Liverpool, and all that Manchester pretty much had was um, New Order. Obviously, um, Joy Division before that. Um, but um, like they got behind the Happy Mondays and the Stone yeah. Roses as if they oh, were something, and they really weren't. No. Uh, like, obviously, living near Manchester, like 
I know, like, I've heard a lot about, like, the Manchester scene. Didn't really know anyone in it until this week. But I know that Manchester can really get together with music and everyone can come together. And I know they have produced some good bands, like Oasis, for example. But, yeah, I'm just, I'm not feeling them at all. Okay. So, as I say, that brings us to the end of all that. But there is some that... I've missed out, but I've come across while doing other reviews um, mm. and what have you. And one, funny enough, was today. Um, I mentioned Altered Images and Hipsway um, for someone in um, Texas. Yes. I'd never, you. ever come across yeah. Hipsway. Um, so I've now added them on. So okay. you haven't, you will be getting them in a couple of weeks. Okay. Um, so next week, we are got some, some bands here that. I haven't heard of, well, one I had, but I didn't realise they had any songs in the 80s, uh, that have had hit singles in the 80s. Now, what I'll do is I'll only give you the singles, just to keep it short and sweet, mm -hmm. I'll just give you the songs that they've had in the 80s. Right, yeah, These yeah. are the groups. You definitely may have heard of one of them. Are okay. you ready? Yeah. So these are 80s. Mm -hmm. The Rolling Stones. Oh, yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah. I'd never have put them as an 80s, so they were more with the 90s. Beatles. 60s, Earlier. 70s. Yeah, they're yeah. way early. Yeah. Okay. So, right. yeah. Uh, Gibson Brothers. Nope. No, I haven't had an either. Air Supply. No. Nope, same here. Rush. No. Nope. nope. And Sad Cafe. No. So they all had hits in 1980. Okay. Um, I missed them out. Big. It was too late for me to put them in as, you know, further when I found out. So I thought I'll leave them till the end and we can recap on any others that I've come across. Okay. Which, as I say, I have. So they are your first five groups. So it should be okay. short and sweet because I'll only yeah. give you the 80s music. Mm -hmm. And there won't be much for me to say about them because they're not that i'm aware of big bands yeah. so um they're your first five okay. okay all right yeah so i shall get their 80 songs over to you and mm -hmm. um we shall discuss those next week um as i say everyone's heard of the rolling stones but whether they realize you know where but they were a group 80s. in the 80s because yeah. i did like you know i suppose i was only a whippersnapper myself so I was later on in the 80s. By this time, yeah. Rolling Stones were, were like no longer a part thing. of it, yeah. although you still knew of them, obviously Mick Jagger. Um, yeah. But no, um, I didn't know they had singles in the 80s that were successful. No right. reason why they shouldn't have, but I hadn't thought about it. All right. Okay. Well, so we'll see them. Other than that, um, a, a mixed week. Um, I'm not surprised. Um, the main thing was Texas and Roxette. They, I think they were the big two. And yeah. I suppose the, the added plus is that you like James. You know, yeah, I like you like sit down. I haven't really listened to their other stuff. So that's no, a plus. Yeah, they've got some good stuff. Yeah. Okay. Right. On that note, I will say goodbye. Yeah. And I'll speak to you next week. You will indeed. Right. Bye, Dad. Bye.